Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we begin the Christmas Advent season, and we are also going to begin a new series focusing on the Old Testament prophecies that proclaim the Messiah's birth. Thanks for listening today as we look into the message from the prophet Isaiah as the Lord reveals the nature and character of his chosen one. Well, if you don't know it, my wife is a kindergarten teacher. And as a kindergarten teacher, she many times has to uh, rally these young kids into submission and into order. And as I've occasionally been able to serve as a substitute teacher at her school, one of the things that I notice that she does when it's time to transfer classrooms and walk through the busy hallway is she'll, uh, she'll tell the kids to, uh, she'll say, one, two, three, uh, all eyes on me. And they say, one, two, eyes on you. It's really amazing. It's military-esque. It's fantastic. <laughs> and then there's always one little kid amongst the whole class who is chosen as a leader. They're the ones that stand, stand with attention at the door and all the other kids line up behind that leader. And sometimes that student will change from week to week, from day to day. And she also has them do uh, bubbles in your mouth. So they have to, they have to, can't be chit-chatting. They have to put bubbles in the mouth and they have to have duck tails, which you have to put your hands like this. And you have to make a little, little duck tail like that. So now you're not grabbing. So bubbles in your mouth. I mean, she's a genius at this, you guys. With him. <laughs> And as I, as I watched her do this, I started to have flashbacks when I was in school. Do you guys remember that? Great school, having to follow the leader. The problem was I, I was a little more rebellious as a kid. I can remember times where I didn't want to follow another leader. I wanted to be the leader. And even in times, you'll see this still happen today, but when the kids start to go, there's always that one over-excitable one. A uh, little, little too much energy, uh, who wants to go their own way. Uh, I can remember not knowing where I'm going, so I don't know if I want to follow. I can remember myself wanting to be in charge, and I can remember getting into trouble for that. Do you know that if you don't follow the leader, right? If, that's, if, if, you're, if you have a leader but you're not following them, your decision to go your own way actually brings disrespect to the leader? Because you're supposed to be following you, you as well are choosing to um, remove yourself from the authority of whoever's in charge, whoever gave those instructions to follow your own way. It runs the risk as well of perhaps ending up in the wrong destination. Ever think about that? Like if, I, if instead of following the one who was chosen, I decide to go my own way without the instruction that they were received, I might end up somewhere I never intended to be. You and I were made to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. That's what God made the human creature for. But he did it to be be accomplished in accordance with his design will. And of course, in the garden, Adam and Eve, and like every one of us as well, decided to go our own way. There is, however, one that God chose as the leader. His name is Jesus. This is what Christmas is about. Christmas is our reception of the graciousness of God who fixed for you and I, 
who would be utterly lost on our own, a leader who can show us the right way. All we're tasked to do is follow the leader. Now, I might, like you, need to keep my hands to myself. I might need to keep my words to myself a little bit more. Any, any, anyone with me on that as to how we follow the leader? Uh, this morning, we're going to start with our foray into this series of The Chosen One, looking into the words from the prophet Isaiah. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me. Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, We've heard a few verses from it already. I'm going to read through a little bit more. And as we look through these verses, I want us to do two things. I want us to be watching for the way in which Advent, because we're in the series uh, season of Advent, Advent sets us up in the middle. And so you got to watch for this now. You are in the middle right now. Jesus has come in the past. Jesus is coming in the future. And so where does that put us? We're in the middle right now. And so we got to watch for that. Um, the second thing that I want us to pay attention to is how this ancient prophecy, though it's rooted and grounded in an identification of a, a man named Cyrus, a ruler uh, in Persia, who for God would be a kind of deliverer for his people. Even though it's rooted in that historical setting, we're actually going to find that this text speaks of someone else. It's going to speak of Jesus. So with those two goals in mind, I want us to pay attention to how we're in the middle, and I want us to pay attention to how this text is going to speak about Jesus. Uh, I, I want to ask you to follow along with me as I read Isaiah chapter 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord this is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I the Lord have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, former things have taken place and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. So this is our passage for this morning. Uh, One of the things that we're going to see as we work through a few early observations is how one of the New Testament characters who was given a, a, a vision from the Lord is going to have been reading this passage. I want to, we're going to connect the dots to see how that, um, how that plays out in the coming of Jesus. But to begin with a few observations I want to share with you. Number one, this chosen one is going, going to be a justice. 
Now, I originally had the word judge. It was going to be a judge, but I, I, I went back and forth on this. You could put either one in there. Part of the reason I'm wavering between them is because of our own English usage of the word judge and justice. So if you sit at the highest court, a Supreme Court, they don't call you a judge. You're called a justice. And one of the, one of the unique characteristics of being a justice is hearing different appeals and actually making judgments concerning them, not just presiding over a trial or presiding as kind of keeping order like many judges do, but actually making the decisions. And so in that realm, I want you to see that this chosen one, whoever it is, is going to be characterized in that role as one who brings justice. Look with me back in the text. It says in verse two, or sorry, at the end of verse one, I will put my spirit on, on him. He will bring justice to the nations. Verse three, at the end, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. Verse four, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes what? How, how many times do we need to see it before we get it? This, this is a, a key defining characteristic of this chosen one. Now, here's why this matters. You guys ever see the show American Idol? You ever see that show? Or how about the one America's Got Talent? You ever see that one? Is that the one with Simon Cowell? The, the, yeah, all right. Well, here, here's the problem. You and I, we live in a world where we're taught to be the judge. We're taught to be the ones passing judgment. I, I'd be willing to bet that you're all pretty good at that, actually. Passing judgment over what you think is right, who you think should win, who you think should lose. I mean, you have, we have a PhD, a master's degree in this. Here's the problem. You're not the judge. It's not you. You aren't the one who will bring judgment. This, one of my favorite verses out of 2 Timothy, Paul says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all those who have longed for his appearing. Um, I want you to know that being a justice, this chosen one will not simply be dividing between what the law says is right or wrong. Instead, what did the text say? He will actually establish it. Whoever this chosen one is, he is a justice. Secondly, the chosen one is a covenant. Now, that's what the text says. If you read commentators over this passage, they waver a little bit because, well, frankly, in applying this to Cyrus, we're going to run into some problems, which means we must be talking about somebody greater than Cyrus. How could, how could a person be a covenant? Isn't that it's a strange way of thinking about it? In fact, a covenant is uh, something we, we need a little definition to. I'm thankful for uh, hopefully the last message that you heard on marriage from uh, Paul Jacobs. I know that part of that was unpacking what a covenant looks like and how that's different than a contract. Just to repeat a few of the things that you've already heard, a contract is written up for the benefit of the person who's in it. A covenant is for the benefit of the recipient. Not, not for yourself, it's to the one who's given. Um, a contract seeks to make things whole in case there are injustices. That's a contract. But a covenant is an oathful pledge to keep my word no matter what. Now, did God covenant himself to the Jewish people? Yes or no? Yes. Not your question. That's a yes. And part of that covenant was required upon their keeping it. Here's my question. How'd they do? Not good. That's right. 
And so we're, we're, left, in a, we're left kind of in a, in a problem. We're, we're, we're left, how, how could God keep his word if they're not keeping theirs? And the answer is in Jesus. There, there is one who did keep it perfectly. And so God upholds his end, not through any of the patriarchs, not through any of those even faithfully making sacrifices, but God upholds his end through Jesus alone. And now we have this new way of thinking about a covenant. Because we're told, if you look with me, down in verse 6, it says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles. This chosen one is now going to be a covenant, an oathful promise from God for his people that he chose. We know that Jesus' role, this is from 1 Timothy 2, is to be the mediator between God and man. In this sense, he's a priest. Now, I would like to go a whole nother 45 minutes on this one, but I'm going to let that go for now. You can bring it up on a Bible study. We're meeting this Wednesday morning. Love to carry this further. Jesus is the mediator between God and mankind. He gave himself as a ransom. And Jesus, as we've already celebrated in communion, says this. This is my blood of the, do you notice it? Of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The covenant is made in blood. And for Jesus, it was his own blood. So Jesus becomes this covenant for us. Thirdly, the chosen one is a servant and we cannot miss that. The very first words of this chapter record the characteristic of the chosen one. He has come to be a servant. In fact, there are many servant songs throughout Isaiah. This is the first example of this. So we can't miss that. Three, three characteristics of this, the chosen one. Now, I want to show you in conclusion how this speaks of Jesus. A few ways. You guys still with me this morning? Everybody good? All right. Number one is this. Jesus came for God's justice and is coming for judgment. Jesus came for God's justice and is coming for judgment. If you look with me back into the text in a few places, you will see in verse two, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the street, a bruised reed. He will not break a smoldering wick. He will not be snuffed out. These are all speaking prophetically to the death of Jesus. Help me out here, church. The wages of sin is death. God has already constrained himself in the redemption of humanity because it was God who said, the day you eat of this fruit, you will die. And so death has been something by God's own decree you and I are plagued with because of sin. Which means the penalty of our sin must come through death. That is God's justice. You heard me pray it this morning, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. God is just. And so Jesus came. That's why he was chosen. He came for God's justice over sin. Which provides for you and I an invitation for forgiveness. But church, remember... We're in the middle. We're in the middle, which means he's coming back. And when he comes back, it will not be as a lamb. Instead, it will be as a king, as a lion. And he will come to bring 
and execute judgment. Secondly, Jesus came to fulfill the old covenant and is coming in the glory of the new covenant. I want you to see how this is a fulfillment. This passage right here is a fulfillment of Jesus' coming within the Old Covenant. This from Matthew chapter 12. Uh, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He was warned not to tell others about him. This is Matthew, by the way. This is what Matthew understands. Matthew is saying this this work of Jesus' coming was to fulfill that which was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And then look what we have. We have Isaiah 42. This is the passage that we're in right here. From Matthew's perspective, Jesus came in effort to fulfill the old covenant. Now, there are so many more verses that I want to give to you for that. But again, we're going to have to just save our time on that. I believe, are you with, give me an amen if you're with me on this. You guys give me on this. Um, he, he, he says, uh, I've not come to abolish the law. Do you remember this? I, I've not come to do away with the law, but rather to fulfill it. So that's Jesus's purpose in coming. But we're in the middle and he's coming back. And he is going to come in the glory of the new covenant. Look with me in two verses down in verse seven. Here is the, here's the purpose of that new covenant. To be a light to the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dudgeon those who sit in darkness. Uh, G- Jesus says to the Jews that everybody who sins is a slave to sin. And if you trust in the Son who sets you free, Jesus says you will be free. You'll be free indeed. And that's what he comes to do. Now, in his coming, this is, by the way, through this new covenant. Through this coming, watch what is said just after this. Look at verse 8. This is awesome. I am the Lord that is my name, I will not give my glory to another. He is coming back in glory. And so while you and I sit in the middle, we need to make sure we pay attention to this. Number one, he's coming back in judgment. Number two, he's coming back in glory. All right. Thirdly, Jesus came to serve and is coming back to save. One of the best passages in all of Scripture, Mark chapter 10, Jesus called them together and said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We have this helpful verse in Hebrews chapter 9. The writer says, Just as people are destined to die once after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And watch this. He will appear a second time not to bear sin. He's no longer going to be the lamb. Why is he going to come? To bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. As we've already heard from that passage in 2 Timothy, the righteous judge will award to all those on that day a crown of righteousness who are looking, who are waiting for his appearance. And so, Don't let me lose you here this morning, church. These these conclusions will dictate how we live because you're in the middle. The first advent has taken place. It has transformed the world. It has transformed me. I pray it's transformed you. And part of that transformation is determined by what's coming next. He's coming back in judgment and in glory, and he's coming back to save. And so to wrap this up, let me offer to you some applications. What can you and I implement into our lives so that we're not like that precocious little kindergartner like I was 
not wanting to follow the leader, but recognizing the one who God chose and learning to follow him. First thing I want to share with you is this. You need to do what God says is right. Not what you say is right. You are not Simon Cowell. (laughs) And you're not Jesus Christ either. You are not the judge. You are not the one who establishes justice. Jesus Christ is. And by virtue of what he has commanded to us, it is not your job to decide if you're going to obey it or not, if it's right or wrong or not. That's not your job. Your job is simply to follow the chosen one. He is the judge. He is the justice. And if you want to save yourself on that day from judgment, you'll follow what he says. And you'll do whatever God says is right. I, um, I skipped our Luke passage. Some of you are like, keep going, Ryan. I, I know you skipped it, but... <laughs> I, I just glanced down at my notes and noticed that. So turn with me real quick to Luke, because you, you need to see how this gets applied for our Advent picture. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. The context in Luke chapter 2 is Jesus has been born. He's eight days old. The Jewish custom is to get the child circumcised on the eighth day. Mary and Joseph being righteous, they're coming to the temple in Jerusalem to present Jesus. And lo and behold, in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2, verse 25, Luke chapter 2, if you're there, say amen. Amen. If you're still flipping, say, Lord, help me. Okay, here we go. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord! As you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory, and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, and so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Just for time, I won't get into Anna. The next little set of verses are going to speak about Anna, um, widowed at a young age, serving day after day in the temple. She as well praises God when she sees the Christ child. You and I need to do whatever God says is right. Simeon heard from God. God spoke to him and gave him a promise. And so Simeon obeyed. Simeon was going to do whatever God said that which was right to do. In fact, he even said it to Mary in a way that I think if I was the mom, I'm not sure I would have liked to hear this. He says in verse 34, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and a sign that will be spoken against. I don't know if I'd want to hear that if I was mom, right? How about you? Look at the next line. It's even worse. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul as well. 
It's critical that we know Jesus models as the chosen one obedience to follow in submission wherever God tells him to go, whatever God tells him to say. That's what our leader, the chosen one, models. And so you and I, we follow. Simeon followed. Anna followed. We need to follow as well. Secondly, you need to live to glorify God in light and in freedom. I want you to know again in verse, uh, this is back in Isaiah 42, that that new covenant is going to be delivered as light to the Gentiles, of which I'm willing to say most of us are, to open the eyes of the blind and to live in freedom. Now, Paul says in Galatians, do not use your freedom as a chance to indulge in sin or put yourself ahead of someone else. Instead, in your freedom, serve one another in love. And do you know what you'll do when you do that? You won't be glorifying yourself. You will be glorifying God. But it requires you to live in both of those, not just in freedom, but in light and in freedom. And so church, this is my appeal to you as well. God has a purpose for you. He wants to work through you. He wants you to be a vessel of his redeeming work to help recreate this world. That's practice here. That's what we get to do in church on Sunday morning, to carry one another's burdens, serving one another in love. Church, this is what glorifies God. And he wants you to glorify him. Thirdly and lastly, offer your life in service to the Lord. You may be able to see these following the same observations. Uh, Judgment on number one, he's the judge. Says, uh, uh, we follow. Whatever he says is right, that is what we do. The covenant here is that which brings us freedom from sin. And so live in that freedom in the new covenant blood of the Savior. But then the last one, the servant. Jesus came as a servant. And so now for you who follow him, you as well need to be a servant. That's what Simeon was. That's what Anna was. Do you know what Jesus says to his disciples in John 14? It's a really famous verse. Um, Philip says, just show us the way. Do you remember this? Just show us the way. And Jesus says to him, I am the Yes, the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father but through me. Do you know what the very first Christians, before they were called Christians, if you read in the book of Acts, they were called followers of the, does anyone know? Do you guys remember? They're, they're the very first Christians, they were called followers of the way. I remember reading that thinking like, maybe that was like a way of living or, or a, like, what was the way? What's the way that they're referring to? It's John chapter 14. They're following not a way, they're following the way. That's what they're trying to do. These very first Christians saw that the best expression of that was to offer their lives in service to God. That's what it means to follow the way. Uh, This passage from Romans 12, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is holy and pleasing to God. It's your true and proper worship. Just as we conclude this morning, I want to give maybe just a personal testimony. In my own life, there was um, a development of God breaking from my own possession a desire for my own glory, my own way. Some of you are like, yeah, Ryan, we know. We could see that in you, right? But uh, when, I was, when I was much younger, it was easier for me to make plans that were going to serve my own 
purposes. And I can remember in God's mercy, he took some of the things that were most treasured in my own flesh and the Lord destroyed those. And that was painful. I can remember those moments. I can remember the tears. I can remember those trying to bring consolation as I am finding the heaviness of God's hand to break me from idolatry and put him number one in my life. And though I think that process has taken um, a lasting hold, I'm still in development. I'm still growing in that. And one of the ways that I felt like making a personal oath to that development was I took my Bible, and when this Bible was brand new to me, I, um, I wrote right in the very front cover. I wrote this after I went on a mission trip, and I saw the need uh, for those to go out and serve. I wrote three little words right in the front of my Bible. Lois, you remember me? Wherever, whenever, whatever. It, it had just been as clear as day to me that my life is most best served not in pursuing my own desires, not in my ability to make decisions as to what's right or wrong or good, not me certainly following after what the world has identified as virtuous. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. And so what that means for me is that I'm willing to say, Lord, I'm going to serve you wherever, doing whatever, whenever. I just want to offer that to you this morning, that maybe you in a little different terminology or your own way, that you might spend this week giving some reflection over to the coming of the Christ. The coming of Jesus means that he's coming back again. And that you too would find that making him Lord means you'll serve him wherever, whenever, doing whatever. Amen? Amen.